0: Brothers, Westmount, continue. Just our thoughts, attentions, our affections, our everything to the Lord as we take hold now of His Word and look to look into it, peer into it, study it. Turn to Romans one. That's where we're at. If you are a visitor this morning. Another warm welcome to you. And we also invite you, if you don't have a Bible, just look in front of you. You'll see one in the racks right there. Take one and, and follow along with us. Romans 1. That is our residence this morning. <clears throat> the history of the world is the judgment of the world. The history of the world is the judgment of the world. Such was the insightful claim uttered by Friedrich Schiller, 18th century German historian. As you look back on ancient barbaric civilizations to the more refined brutality of Greece and Rome, the history of the world is the judgment of the world. The savagery, the sexuality, the sedition, history recounts itself... The judgment revealed. Is that not true? It's its own judgment. Peoples and cultures judged by way of their own hands. Evil begetting evil. Yes, the history of the world is indeed the judgment of the world. And what was an observation, and that, sorry, was an observation that didn't include the past 200 years. As such, I hardly need to mention how much more recent history has only bolstered this and proved this. The past two centuries have only proven that we find all manner of ways to live out our own judgment under such glamorous banners as progress and science. I was reading this week, it's always providential, unrelated to my study, but I was reading this week what's coming out now that Western civilizations are shrinking. And you know why. Their birth rate is in decline. They need immigration and such to sustain because if they don't bring in people, there's no people within Yes, progressive, free thinking, tolerant cultures, listen, Westmount, if left to themselves, what? Would die out. Indeed, the ongoing history of the world is the ongoing judgment of the world right up to this present day. If left to continue theoretically to extinction, that's the judgment. The present ongoing reality is precisely what has been first declared by God. This is indeed, let's pick up from where we were last week, the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God, remember, remember is not like our wrath. Let's take a moment to review in this very important section of Scripture. Human wrath is what? Self-centered, vindictive, prideful, and often intent on harm. We covered that. Human wrath, remember, flows out of what our own fallenness and our own righteousness, which is unrighteousness. The wrath of God, on the other hand, which is in view in this chapter open in front of you, in Romans 1, is this. The wrath of God is God's divine, perfect Personal righteous indignation towards human sinfulness. It's a helpful definition for us in this section. Let us get this, beloved. God's wrath is righteous. We can audaciously say, God's wrath is good. God's wrath is good. God's wrath flows out of His goodness. It flows out of His righteousness. This is God's righteous wrath. God's wrath, as we looked at last time, is what upholds God's righteousness. Last week we covered that. We also were presented with this concurrent truth. The wrath of God revealed. we saw that in verse 18, "But the wrath of God remains on unrighteous humanity." John 3:36. It remains on unrighteous, on the unrighteous. We looked at this in verses 18 to 23, and when we think about that, it's to be distinguished that present remaining wrath really is fueling humanity, unrighteous humanity. It's to be distinguished from the future wrath of God, which is maybe what you think of When you think of the wrath of God, the future wrath of God, the culminating wrath coming, future, horizon that awaits, and we touched on that last week. The wrath that is coming, we would say the eschatological, that is end times wrath that comes at the end of the age. There's overlap here, but they're distinct. Present wrath, but that future wrath, that is true and it's coming. But what Paul has in view here in Romans 1 is much closer than that. It's wrath quite close that clings so close. What is in view here in Romans 1 is God's present wrath revealed. Wrath that we can see and is manifest now. Now history has demonstrated moments of present wrath poured out and we covered these. The flood, Smiting of Sodom and Gomorrah, as Israel's exile, A.D. 70, and so on. Those are all products in moments of dispensing of God's wrath. But all those instances of wrath dispensed in a moment, we said, were indeed just that. Like the curtain pulled back in a moment to see this wrath. And as we said last time, those two wrath, like the future moment of outpouring, but also different to this text. In front of us here we need to grab this with the wrath of God this ongoing remaining ever-present wrath over humanity that fuels unrighteous humanity that's the key and here in Romans 1 as we noted to open last week What is revealed to us indeed is that, not just the wrath and the ongoing judgment that mankind lives out. This is what you see. History books are filled with this. It's just ongoing judgment lived out. But not only ongoing judgment lived out, it's ongoing judgment mankind lives out, listen, by way of his own hands. This is what history tells us. His own hands, every ongoing evil decision of mankind, every choice, every truth suppression, listen, a vehicle of judgment, a revelation that we, humanity, are the agents of this retribution under the sovereignty of God, dispensed judgment through us. Indeed, sin is its own judgment. Just ask anyone who has sinned and now sees it. Just ask anyone if sin is its own judgment. Anyone with eyes open for them to see what their truth suppression led to. Well, that reality that many of us know by experience, God's word will teach us firstly by way of written word. And here in the final verses of chapter 1, as you look at them, we will see exactly what God's judgment, God's wrath lived out looks like. Let's give some opening consideration to these verses starting in verse 24. It says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Let us pray. Father, your word is clear. May we receive it. May we receive it joyfully and with the understanding, Lord, that these words are not the end, but Lord, they point to our need for you. Will God help us to think rightly in this text, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Three times, look at that passage just by way of a scan, look at it from 24 to the end of the chapter, three times, do you see it in that passage, it's stated what? God gave them up, 24, 26, and 28, do you see it there? Three times, God gave them up, stands to reason as you're breaking down a text and looking at themes, we're given one very clearly here, God gave them up. What he gave them up to, we just read and we'll cover shortly, but what of the who? Who is in view here? Who are the ones that God gave up? Well, remember last week we commented on Paul's scope in these opening chapters. He's got it wide open here. Speaking of the gospel of God, especially to this Roman audience, we noted that as Paul opens here, he has all humanity in view. He has Jew and Gentile. In fact, all nations are in view here. This indictment, what we're going to see is of all nations. This is all humanity that he has in view, very deliberately, again, for certainly, to a Roman audience. He's thinking particularly here of Gentile man. Not to the exclusion of the Jew, and we will see that, but this particularly is funnel-opened wide to all Gentiles, all nations, all men. And we know that because there's no limiters on the type of man here in Romans 1. Next week we'll be in Romans 2, and you're going to see some textual cues in Romans 2 that he's thinking particularly of the Jews at points. We're going to see that next week. But here we don't see that. In this opening portion of the letter, we see clearly all nations, all humanity in full view. Now, One last opening remark with regard to the truth here, that God gave them up. I want you to look at that expression again in those three verses. The word that sits in the original language behind that, all three times, is paradidomi. And why do we say that? That's important to understand this word. Because the sense of the word is a judicial giving up. It's not just a giving up, it's a judicial giving up. Do you see the action there? It's like what a judge does that gives up the criminal for sentencing. He gives them up, gavel down. That's the sense here. Literally, then, we could say to give up to justice. This is the same idea found and repeated throughout Scripture. And I want us to settle this in our minds as we think about what's going on in Romans 1. I want you to think with me as we come to this expression so often in God's Word. Think about judges how much giving over there is. But in Judges 2, listen to this. This is the beginning of the book. This is the sense going on here. And I want you to just note the context of this particular people, which is God's people, and the judicial nature here. Let me start in verse 11 of Judges 2. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Do you see that? That's the context. They're doing evil and served the Baals. You see that? This is their God, Baal. And they abandoned the Lord. Now, note that. They abandoned the Lord. See that? The God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. So insightful. They abandoned God and they went after the gods of the people around them. Sound familiar? And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord. And serve the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And then listen, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Do you see that? They abandoned God. They sought the gods around them. So what? What did God do? Judiciously, he handed them over. Do you see that? Think about 2 Kings, you can just note this, 2 Kings now, we move from the time of the judges to the time of the kings, in a sense, same people, right? Same people, listen to this, let's pick up the account, this is particularly of the northern kingdom in view for a moment, but we're going to see the southern kingdom in a moment, listen to the account and listen to the same language, but they, this is God's people, Israel, would not listen. They were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. We've talked about stubbornness already, right, in Romans 1, and here we see it with God's people. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after, listen, they went after false idols and became false, and they followed who? the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. See the same picture here. abandon God, I want the idols around me. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves, listen, metal images of two calves. And they met in Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Of course, in the high places in Samaria, that's exactly what happened. It's Jeroboam introduced. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Again, with the north in view, therefore the Lord is very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. Of course, that's obliteration that we would see with the north. But listen, none was left but who? The tribe of Judah only. Now, you might say at this point, well, Judah, right. They did right. Continue, verse 19. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but what? Walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and inflicted them, and listen, here it is, and gave them what? Gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. You see a pattern here? They abandon God, they go after the idols, so what's the judgment? You can have what you're going after. We'll, we'll hand you, God says, I will hand you over. This is what you want. Psalm 81. The psalmist knows this, expresses this. Verse 11 and 12, Psalm 81. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. Note the rebellion, the stubbornness, of posture. So, so what? Consequence, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Do you see that? There's judgment. Stubborn, rejecting God's, given over. Given over. Hosea has this most pointedly, again, with the north in view, but listen to the language. This is a, a good picture that sums it all up. Hosea 4, verse 17 Ephraim, the north, is joined to idols. Leave him alone. You see the picture? Joined to idols. That's what he wants. Here's the judgment, leave him alone. That's scary, isn't it? Just leave him alone. Him and his idols. What we see in these passages with giving over is also the sense, as we come back down to Romans 1. It's the same sense in Romans 1. We see this throughout Scripture. And that's just the Old Testament, by the way. More to say in the New shortly. Shortly. Giving over, this giving over sense from the Lord. And, and what we see with this giving over, and what's in view is this, two things by way of introduction. First, this giving over is an act of judgment by God. He is active, it's not passive. You'll hear often people, and I think well-intended, say, well, God just lets go of the wheel and lets them do their own thing. I mean, in a sense, that's a pacification, is it not? That God would just let go? No. He actively hands over like the judge. The judge is not passive in his sentencing, is he? He actively says, this is not just letting go of the rowboat. This is pushing the rowboat downstream and saying, well, this is the judgment. Let's not miss that. But even more, this is an active giving over where, Romans 1 says? To ourselves. Now, we can't possibly, in our modern sensibilities, grasp how terrifying that is, I would submit to you, to be given over to yourself. Because we think we're doing okay. We think we're good. We think we're all right. That's one. This is an act of judgment by God. Two, the judgment, and here it is, we've said it already, but now we really need to put the emphasis here. The judgment is that we're left to ourselves. The consequence is us. It might have been Assyria, right? It might have been wooden casts before here. What's being indicted in Romans 1 is, I'm handing you over to you. Now, upon hearing that, maybe you're here today and you hear this cry today, Like, well, yes, that's what I've been wanting all along, is to be free to myself, right? Don't you? Isn't that the modern cry? It's the modern cry of many children, is it not, in homes? I just want to be free to do what I want. Let me do as I choose. That's the call of progress. Let me do as I want. That's freedom. Yet, as we will see in this text, that cry is really a cry to say, give me over to judgment. Will you give me over to judgment and give me over to myself? As such, God grants that request. By way, and let's be clear theologically here, by way originally first of sovereign decree... And then with that subsequent volitional cry of the creature, picture all the creatures just saying, give me over to self, give me over to self. So God gives them up here in Romans one, then God's word presents to us three dimensions of that giving up three dimensions, three spheres of self that mankind is given over to by God, body, heart, and mind, body, heart, and mind. In each of these fundamental arenas of the human person, we will see, beloved, God gives them over. God gives them up. Let's now continue in the text and look at the first domain, point one. The first one, dishonoring the body. Dishonoring the body. Our first point. Let's look at verse 24. It begins with what? Therefore, do you see it? Therefore. Again, and as always, Westmount, this signals connection, connection in the text and a link to what's prior. So as we read it, as it is, therefore is consequence, right? When you come to therefore, it's consequence. Therefore says, because of this prior, this now. Do you see that? It links. Because of this, this. This is called Westmount building an argument, we see this in literature and Certainly in debates, this is building an argument. It's not like the argument we know, right? The fighting arguments. No, this is a literary argument. This is a rhetorical argument. This is Paul building an argument as he's communicating a point. These are divine words that have been given to Paul. Inspired words given through the apostle to us. And here, dare we not lose the flow of the argument because there's truth revealed in this argument. So let's back up and... And capture the full argument. Let's go back to verse 18. Let's get a run-up to this, because it's so important that we don't lose the connection. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then, explanation for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. This is the unrighteous suppression. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Paul goes on, so they're without excuse. It's evident they suppressed it, they're without excuse. 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's just a, also a picture of what we read in the Old Testament, isn't it? If anyone should have known God and did know God, it's Israel. But they didn't acknowledge him, did they? They went after the the idols around them. But they became futile here now of all nations in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, in light of that, God gave them up. And the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. Therefore, then, look at it in 24, is connected directly to the truth suppression we've been looking at. Men suppress evident truth and unrighteousness. How so? Last week, by not honoring God or giving thanks to God, right? By claiming wisdom while becoming fools. By exchanging the glory of God for images of mortal man and creeping animals. So because they do that, the text says, because they suppress the truth that way, Paul says here in verse 24, because mankind does that, therefore God gave them up. And first, he gives up mankind to what? Look at it. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now that's the first result. However, let's not move too quickly and miss the location. This is so important. God gave them up, look, where, domain, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Do you see that? In. This is a recognition of mankind's state in truth suppression. This is the context. This is the environment of truth suppression. What is the engine that is driving truth suppression? That's what you're asking as you come to the text. What would make someone suppress the truth like this, right? When it's so evident. What's the engine behind that? Well, the same engine that drives the actions of our bodies, right? Is that not true? You say, why do people do what they do? Well, because of the engine on the inside. And that is why, yes, actions and fruit are so important. Because they reveal what? What's on the inside? Jesus said, out of the overflow of what? The heart, the mouth speaks. That really disarms our I didn't mean to's, right? It's the lust of the heart, this text says, the yearning, the longing. Note that, the craving of the heart. And that word is epithumia, that's an intensifier on passion. Now, epithumia could be positive cravings, right? That lust of the heart, right? Or sorry, the epithumia could be positive cravings. You see this, by the way, with Paul in Philippians 1.23. What does he say? He has this kind of desire to be with Christ. That's the same word. And the point in Philippians 1.23 is the intensification of his passion to depart and be with Christ. However, in the New Testament, that is not the most used context for epithumia. It's not what is most often the craving. The New Testament writers use this word of passionate or intensified passion in a negative sense. This is, and the context makes this very clear here, this epithumia is a craving for wickedness. That's what this is. It's a craving, a carnality, a carnal craving for wickedness. This is, again, epithumia, the yearning, the longing, the craving for. Look at the verse, impurity. This is, this is the yearning that wants impurity. It's the craving that has resulted from original sin, from an infected DNA. This is when we speak about our nature here. The fallen nature that resulted from the fall. Remember, Genesis 3, that all Adam's descendants are subjected to sins, this heart bent from the womb that all mankind suffers under. Prophet Jeremiah makes this point very clearly when he actually indicts Israel. Turn to Jeremiah 17. Prophet Jeremiah is going to refer to this, he's going to do this very graphically to speak of the condition of man's heart when he indicts Israel. Now look at this. Jeremiah 17, in verse 1, and this is coming right after, at the end of 16, he, he, he gives this piece about how the Lord is faithful to his promises and he will restore his people. But then he says this in chapter 17, verse 1, the sin of Judah, right? And look at who's in view here. This is the south. This is the remnant in the south. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. In other words, it's in there, and it's ingrained in their heart. This is why they sin. They have sin etched on their heart. And what's the result of that over the overflow of that kind of heart? Verse 5, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man, this is what they do, who trusts in man. Who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Now this is what you've seen all throughout the Old Testament, is it not? This is your picture. Word of God is so clear. This is the man who trusts in man. This is the man, the Israelite, with boots shaking. Well, let me call on Assyria. Let me call on another king. Another nation to help. This is the man, this is the heart condition that makes flesh flesh his strength maybe i am strong enough let me lean on my own flesh and this is the heart quite simply then who does those actions whose heart turns away from the lord and we see that right we've seen that already in the old testament abandoning god for self turning to other idols other nations What's no surprise then, and you know this verse, I know, verse 9, As we were, if we were to work through it, the heart, verse 9, is deceitful above all things. This is what you've been turning to, Israel and such man, and desperately sick, who can understand it? You've been turning to something that's deceitful and sick and broken. You've been turning to something that no one can understand, your own heart. In verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. In other words, only the Lord knows the heart. To give, and here it is, every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. In other words, I am the one that gives in accordance, rightly. And if this is what you're wanting, then I give in accordance with that. Not only because I've sovereignly decreed that, but you desire it. But then look at the illustration verse 11. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he, look at this, who gets riches not by justice, In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at the end of his life, he'll be a fool. In other words, what's he saying there? What's the picture? To to rely on your own heart, to to think your heart is going to guide you and prop you up and be your strength and be your understanding. You're like the fool that gains riches without doing anything, because one day what happens? It's ripped away. Right. This is the indictment against mankind. To to go to your heart. It's like this picture, to follow your heart, to lean on your heart, that is so sick and deceitful. is only to be let down in the end, and of course it's much more than just being let down. Back to Romans, much, much more. The Lord gives every man according to his ways. And here we see, as we are picking up the argument in Romans this is the context of humanity's heart this is what drives what we've seen here this is the state of man it is of course the fallen state of man it's a state of man of all humanity and you recognize the problem i pray westmont right away mankind has a broken engine and they're trying to do a lot of things with a broken engine aren't they and we could say how is that going for humanity what they need is not to double down on that engine not to say well i'm going to really redouble my efforts on this no what they need to do is recognize that they need a new one but they don't and this is stubbornness this is abandonment of god this is turning this is a failure to recognize that fundamentally from birth this is our heart's disposition and this is indeed an all-humanity problem. Now, this is paramount and fundamental here. Because as such, God gives up in that heart condition, right? He gives up this humanity in view here, and it leads to what? This is the first point. This is what Paul is striking to, to a dishonoring of their bodies, Now, to be clear, look at it there, verses 24 and 25, this is the human body in view here. Paul uses the word soma, so he's he's specifically referring to the body. There'd be a different word for flesh, he's not using that. This is the human body in view. So the judgment in view, and this is very important as we track through here, the judgment in view here, lived out here, is with regards to the human body. Do you see that? The text says here, look at verse 24, that the human body is dishonored. And you say, how? Well, first, at the end of verse 24, we see where this happens. Look, among themselves. Look at the domain. The domain of dishonor is among themselves. That's the arena. And you can just picture already what's, what's happening here. A whole bunch of humans with a heart condition, you don't need to light any match for dishonoring, Right? That's the domain. But this is important. This is not by themselves. So this is not humanity off on some mountaintop looking to dishonor the body. No, this is dishonoring that is the company of others similarly living out the judgment. Do you see this? Look at the text. This is among themselves. So this is person A saying, I badly yearn for this for my body. And person B saying, me too. Or can I help you with that? This is economy. Person A and B setting up life this way. Making money, satisfying cravings. Clapping hands. That's what's going on here among themselves. This is dishonoring bodies among themselves, right out of the text. Then in verse 25, we see the how and the why. Look at it. Because they exchanged the truth about God for what? A lie A lie is always a lie, which is an untruth. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And this is why God gave them up, because they extra- exchanged truth for a lie. That's a devastating exchange, is it not? Devastating. The great lie, this is the great lie. Like a great conversation, this is the great lie in all humanity that says to all mankind of all time, flowing from our ancestors, it says, you can exchange the creator God for a God of your own creation. That's the great lie. It hangs over all humanity and we just pull fruit from it. Yes, you can. People make money off the great lie. And they say things, like you hear legally these days, don't believe the old myths. Believe the new great lie. Believe in this lie. Equal sign. Believe in yourself. You have no limits. You can do whatever you want. And people love it. And they want their kids to learn that. And they want more of it. And they just can't get enough of it. The great lie. More and more of you. And then what's the product when you're done creating your own God? What's the picture? You serve it and you bow down to it. This giving over is evident in the award winners and distinguished of our day. Men like Peter Singer, some of you know of him. He is a distinguished, one of the finest distinguished bioethics professors in all the world. And he has residence at Princeton University. He's distinguished. He's an award winner, Peter Singer. Peter Singer is also lobbied for infanticide. Peter Singer says, an infant does not have personhood. So you can slaughter them. Yes, out of the womb. Distinguished bioethics professor. An infant, do you hear them around the room? They're not people, according to Peter Singer. That's one thing. Do you know what Peter Singer has also lobbied for? Concurrent to that says, these babies are not persons, but you know who, are, who should have legal status and rights? Like a person, do you know who? Peter Singer says, animals. Animal liberation is famous work. Working hard to get rights for animals. Now listen to me. I do need to say this. We do care for our creation, right? And we don't mistreat animals. Let's be clear about that. I hope every good Christian that understands Genesis 1 understands that. But it's something entirely different to start elevating creatures to the status of human beings. But beloved, here I could go on. This is the exchange lived out. This is the great lie manifest. The body violation to submit oneself really in essence that's what they're doing with all of the academic nonsense of elevating animal and suppressing infants this is the exchange this is a violation the dishonoring of the body amongst themselves this is suppressing the truth about god and those created in the image of god is there not a greater suppression than killing the infants and calling animals people that is a violation that dishonors the body Exchanging it for a lie about created things like animals. And then capping that exchange with worship and service to the created. Now, listen, it may not have fancy altars and robes, but I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like lobbying, it looks like cleverly written essays and all of that stuff. It's nicely polished, but it's a lie. It's exchanging a lie for the truth about God and what he created and what he says. Beloved, this is nothing new. Listen, this is not an other humanity problem. We really need to understand this as we read Romans 1, because if we're not careful when we read Romans 1, we just think, yeah, that's the problem with Peter Singer and those people. This is indeed an all-humanity problem, but it's an all-humanity problem that we can get caught up in. Turn to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. This is, again, as we've said in Deuteronomy, Moses now charging the second generation. You're going to go into the land. God in his sovereignty is delivering the land to you. Do not do like your fathers did. And what are the salient things he says over and over again? Love the Lord your God. Know the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. Don't forget that. Moses understood the horizontal temptations. Let's pick this up in verse 15. He's char- this is in the middle of a discourse where he's just charging them to turn to the Lord, to obey the Lord. Verse 15, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. I love that. In other words, you can always get tricked by your sensuality, can you? You saw no form there. Oh, but you wanted a form. And you built one at the foot of the mountain. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. In other words, just give me something to look at. The likeness of male or female. The likeness of any animal that's on the earth. The likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. The likeness of anything that, note the language, creeps on the ground. The likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. Now, we stop there for a moment. Do you remember Genesis 1 said what? Of those things, what are you to do? Have dominion over those things. Steward those things rightly. That's what God says. But, what does humanity do? Fallen humanity do, verse 19. Beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven... You be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. In other words, what's the charge from Moses and the Lord here? Beware, my people. Beware. Don't forget what you've been charged to do. Beware that you t- your eyes are in the wrong place. And looking to bow down to the created... This is so insightful what Moses does. He doesn't say even the creeping things. He goes right to the very highest of things God created, the whole host of heaven. All those in the spiritual places, but anyone but God, and any created and not the creator. Beware lest you're drawn away. Beware Israel, beware my people, lest you be drawn away by created things. We need that warning sticker slapped on everything we do, don't we? Beware lest you be drawn away by created things. We need that today, we'll need it tomorrow, and we're going to continue to need it over and over again. Beware when we take our eyes off Creator. Beware lest your body and its senses be drawn away and you bow down and serve them. Back to Romans. Beware when your body submits itself to a creeping thing. This is dishonoring the body. This is the exchange. It's idolatry. It's what brings the wrath of God revealed. This is what happens when God gives up. This is Creator God handing over his created to their own lusts, the lusts of their heart. The idolatrous worship in place of Creator worship. Mankind turns to creation worship. This is the first domain that God gives up here the body. The body. I cannot believe that is the time, if it is, 12 o'clock. And there is no way we are going to get to the rest of this text. Um, I'm hearing a lot of a sense that it is indeed that time. Um, we'll leave it there for now. We will pick it up next time because there is so much, I pray you see, in this passage that we need to cover. And we need to cover, beloved, rightly rightly i pray you're tracking with paul's argument with the word of truth here there's so much more to say so we will leave it there we're going to pick it up next time let me pray father in heaven lord we come before you recognizing indeed you are creator oh god forgive us when we bow down to the created lord how easily deceived we are to do that and we dishonor the body that you made us in We dishonor the body that's made in your image. We dishonor the body that's been given a charge. Lord, we pray that you would help us to get our eyes back on you, creator, to live the way that we ought, the way you intended us to. So God, help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.